Good to be here this morning in the house of the Lord. We're thankful again for the opportunity to assemble, be in prayer for those who aren't here. We've got some who are under the weather, uh, and we, we thank the Lord that God has raised them up from times of illness before, and ourselves as well, we trust He'll do the same. I want to turn our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Our subject is still, Who hath required this, or the folly of Easter? And we've been noting here uh, the whole uh, whole thing of it. We noted uh, last week on Fat Tuesday, Ash Wednesday, and the whole season of Lent, and how that none of this is commanded of God. Amen. He doesn't require it. It's not, people talk about it and say, well, this is like fasting. It's not like fasting. Fasting is like fasting. So I want to read here in Matthew 12, verse 38 through 42. Our subject this morning is the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah. And for some, this might be a review. For others, it might be, maybe you're hearing this for the first time or the second time, but we pray that the Spirit of God will, will really drive this home and we'll see the necessity of it, the the actuality, the reality of it, the just the fact that what the Bible says is true. So Matthew 12, verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Now again, we're concerned with what the Bible says. We're not concerned with the traditions of men, and the traditions of so-called Christianity. As the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. That simply means that 
when men are contrary, it doesn't matter how many there are, but when men are contrary to thus saith the Lord, then it's men who are wrong, not God. And so we're going to look here, as we said, we're studying this time of year as many celebrate, and it's amazing. You know, it's kind of like the so-called Christmas season. People, you know, oh, it's the birth of Christ, and yet they leave off Christ. And yet they're the ones say, we need to put Christ back in Christmas. We know He was never there. But it's amazing how little this time of year, Easter, as so many call it, oh, we're, we're commemorating the resurrection of our Savior, how little the resurrection of the Savior has anything to do with what they're, they're doing. In this chapter, we see the Lord Jesus challenged by the religious people of His day. And no doubt, He would be challenged today by the religious people of today. If you look in chapter 12 here in verse 1, it says, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Matthew 12, verse 1 and 2, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered, and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath. And so, isn't it amazing? Here they were just always contrary to the Lord Jesus. How about verse 9? And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? See, that was really what was behind their hearts and all of it was they wanted to have something whereby they could accuse Christ. And there's a lot of folks today, they're not, as we would call, honest inquirers. They're not really inquiring about Scriptures. They're just trying to have something that will excuse their unbelief and continuance in sin. And so you can read here on down, verse 14, it says, When Jesus healed this man with the withered hand on the Sabbath, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. They were so hard-hearted and so sin-filled that they couldn't even marvel at the miracle that was done. And then in Matthew 12, verse 22, we find then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him. Insomuch the blind and dumb both spake and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And so here they were, if they hadn't, they were on the precipice, borderline of committing, as Christ would here describe the unpardonable sin, of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit of God. And so you see here, these were always against Christ. And you'll notice here, in these things, verse 9 through 14, He heals a withered hand. Verse 15 through 21, He does a great deal of things here and 
And the body preaches and teaches and He healed them all, it says in verse 15, verse 22 through uh, the remainder until we get to verse 38. The Bible tells us that He cast out a man who was possessed with a devil. And so then they come in verse 38, then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Well, he'd been giving them signs. He'd been giving them signs. And they rejected all of them. And so Christ, he responded, he always knew how to respond. He always respond better than I respond. And, and thankfully he does. He said, verse 39, evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. You see, we ought to believe God. We ought to believe Him. Believe what His Son said. Believe what His Son did. And trust Him. And here they balked at all these signs. Here they saw all the things that were done. Here they'd heard the messages. They'd heard the sermons. They'd heard the doctrine and the teachings of Christ. And they said, oh, we need a sign. Well, they had the Scriptures. And everyone here, well, you have the Scriptures. And you have the, the testimony and the witness. And you have the truth and the veracity of the Word of God that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And they said, oh, we would see a sign from thee. I'm reminded of what God, through the prophet of Isaiah, told the people of Israel... In Isaiah 5.4, Isaiah 5.4, he said, What more could have been done that I have not done? Oh, if, if, if this would happen, I'd believe. You know, if that happened, people still wouldn't believe. You read over in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it's chapter 16, there's that rich man in, in hell and he, he says, Oh, Oh, have Lazarus rise from the dead. If, if, if just one would rise from the dead and send him to my brother's house, they'll believe. And, and he, one did rise from the dead and they still don't believe. He said they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now these here were not really interested in signs or in Christ but they were tempting him. Look over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. And I want you to notice here, verse 14, 15, and 16. And again, we're going to be noting the sign of Jonah. But I just want to set up and show you here, the religious people of his day, they weren't interested in Christ. And that hasn't changed Ever. Amen. The religious people of our world today are not interested in the person of Jesus Christ. I hope that you are. Luke 11 verse 14, And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb, and it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through bells above the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. Well, he just performed one, didn't he? 
And so here he was. You read on into verse 29. When the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign. There shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. You see, we ought to believe the testimony of God concerning Jesus. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You see, the Bible tells us here, and you notice in our studies Wednesday in the Gospel of Mark, you remember there how that everywhere Jesus went, what did He do? He preached. He preached. There's folks today who are still concerned with certain things, but they, they, all it is is sign-seeking. Oh, we want to see this, we want to see that. But they don't believe God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, when he says them that are called, he's referring unto those who are called unto salvation. He says, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And so the reality is here, as he says, oh, some seek signs and some seek wisdom, but Christ, He's the power of God. And that's what we need to be concerned with, is the Lord. Now I want you to look, if you would, in our text, as we said, and turn over, we'll look in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. And you find Daniel... And then you'll find Hosea, and then Joel, and then Amos. And after Amos, you'll find Obadiah, and then Jonah. And I'll be real easy, because we just named all the books of the Old Testament. But I want you to notice here, Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, in verse 12. He said, it's going to be the sign of Jonah. And see, Jesus and Matthew... As well as in Luke, he was talking to Jews. And these Jews, they understood uh, the Scriptures. The Pharisees, they were knowledgeable of the Scriptures. They had the Old Testament. They had the Word of God. They had it before them. The Pharisees, why they were the ones who looked at all the extra writings of the Scriptures. They had all the commentaries, if you would. And so they knew about the book of Jonah. They knew the accuracy of it. They knew the truth of it and the veracity of it. And the Bible tells us in Jonah 1 and verse 12, Jonah, if, and I'm not going to go into all of it, but God sent him to the city of Nineveh to preach repentance. And he didn't want to go. Sounds like some of us, doesn't it? And so, he tried to flee from the Lord. And he got out on a boat, on a ship, going the wrong way. 
And there was a great storm that came up. And Jonah told him, he said, it's, it's happening because I'm disobeying the Lord. He said, you've got to throw me overboard and then the storm will stop. And it was, it was a bad storm. And so they finally did. Verse 12, And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I know some people say, well, it says fish here, it says whale there, and so on and so forth. And listen, this was a fish, it was a whale, it was a creature in the ocean. God had prepared it. And Jonah was there for three days and three nights. And some folks like to say, well, that's impossible. And other people, they like to get out all their scientific books and show how it was possible. Listen, it was the power of God that brought this to pass. And I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. It's more, what's amazing is you get down into chapter 2 and verse 10, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. That's an amazing thing. I don't know too many fish that vomit something out once they get it in there. Unless it's the worm on the end of my hook. But these Jews here, they were very knowledgeable of the Scriptures. And we're not so much concerned with the humanly possible or so-called scientific facts, but we're concerned that the Bible says Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And to this day... Folks are wanting signs that Jesus is the Christ and he said, here it is. This is it. Hadn't changed. This is still the sign. Oh, we need something new. Why? You won't believe all the other things in the Word of God. Now, if this story of Jonah isn't true, then we ought to just throw out the whole Bible. Well, I'll just throw it all out. Because Christ said, here's the sign of Jonah, as he was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, the Son of Man is going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so if Jonah isn't true, then, then Christ, he's not the Lord and Savior. That's right. Amen. Now I want you to note, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 16, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. And we'll read here verse 1 through 4. 
Now, a lot of times we look out and look for providential purposes and things and try to understand some things. And if they'd have been watching what Christ was doing, they'd have known that, oh, this is the Christ. Matthew 16, verse 1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather, today for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern the signs of the times. Listen, I don't know if you've heard this before, but something we heard growing up. You know, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. And you know, doesn't matter if you're on the land or you're out behind the water. It's true, isn't it? Storm comes up. And so Christ tells the Pharisees, He said, while you look up in the sky and you know what the weather's going to be for the day. And He said to him here, He said, verse 4, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So here it is. It's the same sign. So we want a sign. He said, I already told you, chapter 12. Now it's chapter 16. He tells them it's the same sign. So if you're looking for some sign that Jesus is the Christ, this is it. That's all you're getting. No more signs. Let me read it to you again. There shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we know what the sign is. Three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. The Lord will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now I want to examine some things here. If you turn over to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I want you to note verse 5. We're going to note some things about days and nights. Days and nights. You know the Bible uses days. It uses the word day in different ways. And I want to examine this and look because it's important as we study this. And isn't it interesting, in the very beginning, God established what a, a day is. Or what, what the day is. He says here in Genesis 1.5, And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So from the very beginning, everybody knows. The very beginning, you've got the morning and you've got the evening and you put those two together and you got a whole day. And God said, the light, I'm going to call that day also, and the darkness He called night. So right here we know this, the word day is indicative and representative of two different things. Number one, it's this time period where there's light out. And it's also a 24-hour period where you have light 
and you have darkness, that is a complete day. So he tells us from the first, right from the get-go. You keep reading. Look at the consistency. Notice if you would as well, verse 8, God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. Same thing, verse 13. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 18. And to rule over the day and over the night to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So, He breaks it down for us in His Word, doesn't He? You can read all through this chapter and see all these things. Look over, if you would, in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. And you know, you know how, and I'll say this truthfully, you know how you can tell if somebody is trying to tempt, trying to bring accusation against the Lord and against His people versus an honest inquirer? An honest inquirer is going to sit there as you go through all of this. Somebody who really wants to know about the Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection, they're going to sit here as we go through all these things. If, they're, if it's just somebody who they're trying to find accusation, they're going to be done by now. I really believe that because you know people today, their attention spans, they're like gnats. And, and you know everything's got to be done like this. And I get it, I'm the same way with a lot of things. But when it comes to the Scriptures, you've got to search them out. Amen. That takes time. The folks who don't want to search them out, they're showing you they're really not interested. That's why they want to say, oh, just give me a sign. No, we've got to search the Scriptures. John 8, verse 56. Here we find the word day refers to a, a time. Refers to a, a time. And here it is in Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, Christ says. And he saw it and was glad. So, my day refers to something. Just like Jesus says, my hour is upon me. You know, he wasn't talking about 60 minutes. He was talking about the hour when he would offer himself, the time period. Look over in John chapter 9. Gospel of John chapter 9, verse 4. Here we find it's used metaphorically. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. What's he referring to here? John 9, verse 4. What's he referring to? He's referring to when do we work? We work during the daytime, don't we? I know there's night shift and things of that nature, but the majority of work is during the day. He says, listen, we've got to work now. The night's coming. So here it's used metaphorically. Then I want you to notice John chapter 11. John chapter 11. 
Here the Lord Jesus Christ, very specific, very clear. John 11 and verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. So he said, and this was common knowledge, he's preaching here unto the Jews, and he said, Are there not twelve hours in the day? Remember the evening and the morning were what? The first day. So in that first day, what's he say? Verse 9, 12 hours in the day. Remember, there was the morning, which was the day, the light, the day, and there was the night, that was the evening. So God just, he just, it's all there. Now when we look at this, and we look at the sign of Jonah, and God tells, Jesus says, that it's going to be three days and three nights. That tells us He's talking about three 12-hour, the portion of the day, and three 12-hour nights, the portion of the evening. Now you take that and you add it to all up, and you get 72. You get three 12-hour days and three 12-hour nights. Or you get three 24-hour days. Either way, it's 72 hours. Now, this is preached repeatedly throughout the Scriptures. I want to note passage of Scripture. Turn back to Matthew chapter 12, our text. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to Get, get our fingers to do quite a bit of walking here. And I want to do this. I really feel impressed the Lord do this because it shows how the Lord Jesus taught this so much the importance of it. He really labored about this passage or this portion, this thought. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Our text, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Look over, if you would, Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Here he puts it this way. Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Matthew 17, verse 23. Well, 22, 23. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again, and they were exceeding sorry. So he says it's going to be three days and three nights. Here we're saying three days. That When he says three days, he's talking about the night and the day together. That's one day. The night and the day together. Day two. Night and the day together. That's day three. Matthew 20, verse 19. Matthew 20, verse 19. Again, there's a lot of people, when you talk to them about the Lord, what day He was crucified, what day He was buried, 
What day He rose again? Oh, it doesn't really matter. Well, Christ then sure wasted a lot of time, didn't He? Matthew chapter 20, verse 19. And shall deliver Him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify Him. And the third day He shall rise again. Look over in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 31. It says, For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. They shall kill him, and after that he is killed. He shall rise the third day. Chapter 10, verse 34 of the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10 and verse 34. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Gospel of Luke chapter 9. These are all the teachings of Christ. Each instance, Christ is, is referring unto when he's going to rise again. Luke 9.22 saying the, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Luke 18.33 Gospel of Luke chapter 18 verse 33 <coughs> And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. I want to read the next verse. And they understood none of these things. And there he's talking to the twelve. And they didn't understand it. Look over in Matthew chapter 27. Not only did Christ teach it, but his enemies had heard it and they repeated it. Matthew 27, verse 39 and 40. And they that passed by reviled him and wagging their heads and saying, Thou hast destroyed, excuse me, verse 40, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Remember, he had taught, he said, see that temple? He's talking about, he referred unto the temple that Herod had built. He said, that temple, he said, and then he referred unto his own body, he said, if this temple be destroyed, I'll raise it up in three days. And here they were, some time later, and they said, oh, you that destroy the temple and buildest it in three days. Huh? Why don't you save yourself? How about Matthew 27 and verse 63? Here, or verse 62, we'll start there. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that deceiver said, that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive after three days, I will rise again. 
Command therefore that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last heir shall be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So even the, the enemies of Christ. Angels testified in Luke 24, verse 6 and 7. Cleopas in Luke 24, 21. Christ after he was raised from the dead in Luke 24, 46. Peter preached about Christ being raised the third day in Acts 10 and verse 40. Paul preached 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 4 about it the third day. Now you think it's important that the Spirit of God had it recorded in all these scriptures? He said, I'm going to give you one sign and it got repeated over and over and over and over again. This is the sign. It's the only one you're getting. Now commonly, today people hold that the crucifixion occurred on a Friday during the day that Christ came down from the cross Friday evening, was buried Friday night, and rose again Sunday morning. We object to this. We object to it vehemently. If that occurred, then he, Jesus is not the Christ. Because that's not three days and three nights. And they, they try to say, oh, well, it means a partial day. I just read to you in the Gospel of John where Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in a day? Meaning, the daytime when the light's out, are there not 12 hours then? Did, did God not tell us in the very beginning the evening and the morning were the first day and the evening and the morning were the second day and the evening and the morning every day? The first six days, the evening and the morning were the day. Well, <clears throat> look over to Matthew 28. We'll look at a few more things here. We know when Christ rose from the dead, don't we? We know when they came to the sepulchre and they found the tomb was empty. The stone was not rolled away so Christ could get out. It was rolled away so they could see that He was not there. In Matthew 28, verse 1, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear or the women, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here. 
For He has risen, as He said, as He said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. The first day of the week, Sunday, He's not there. Mark 16 tells us it was very early in the morning on the first day of the week. Luke 24 tells us the same thing. First day of the week, very early, He's not there, He's risen. John 20 verse 1 tells us it was the first day of the week and it was yet dark. So when they came to the tomb very early, still dark, first day of the week, He's already risen. So we know when He rose from the grave. Now we just got to count back. Three days, three nights. So if we count back and we end up, we know when Christ was crucified. It was during the day. It started out. He had a legal trial in the evening. We know that He was the Passover. He observed the Lord's Supper following the Jewish Passover. That had to be done in the evening because they had to kill the lamb in the evening. And then we know that Christ had that illegal trial through the night. Then they made Him carry His own cross. And then He was crucified. And we know when that occurred. The Scripture tells us. No, it was about this hour. It was about this hour when He cried this. It was about that hour when this took place. Look in Matthew 27, verse 57. We know when they buried him. People say, well, what difference does it make? God went to all this, if you pardon this expression, all this trouble so we could have this. Say, what difference does it make? We don't observe it. We commemorated it 52 Sundays a year. Every Lord's Day we assemble, and even on Wednesdays when we we come into the house source because we have a risen Savior. He lives. Matthew 27, verse 57. When the even was come. What's that mean? When the evening was come. There came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there, and there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Now what we know, when even was come, they got the body of Christ and they put it in the tomb and Joseph rolled the, 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 the rock over it as a door. So the first thing is, we know that the first time he's in the tomb is a night. 
So it starts in, with the evening, doesn't it? Remember what did the Bible say? The evening and the morning were the first day. So the first time in the tomb, it was an evening and a morning. Then another evening and a morning. Then another evening and a morning. Now you put this together, and we know they got there Sunday morning very early, and he's already gone. Now you count back 72 hours, Christ was crucified on Wednesday. They put him in the ground Wednesday night. He's in the tomb Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday. That's six, right? That's six 12-hour periods. Sometime Saturday after the evening started, let's say six o'clock. Sometime after that, in the third day, there's six 12-hours in the third day, sometime in that portion, he rose from the dead. And they came there very early Sunday. That's when they found it out. That's when they discovered it. But he's already gone. And on the first day of the week, he met with his church. Now either it's three days and three nights, or it's a day and a half, or maybe two days at best. Do you know there's a reason... There's a reason people do a Good Friday and it's not of God. And we'll deal with that as we go a little further. But you can see from the Scriptures and we can count, we can figure out this whole week that they've got completely discombobulated and God is not the author of confusion. Satan is. So when the Bible says, Jesus taught it multiple times, said, oh, only sign given you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. You got all these churches holding up Friday as the day of crucifixion and Christ rising Sunday morning. That's not even biblical. Not even biblical. Doesn't honor God whatsoever. He said, well, we ought to do something. Why? God didn't command it. Why well, we ought to do it? Drove by a so-called church the other day. Oh, we're having a community Easter egg hunt. Oh, we're going to get thousands of people here. and you know, may, We'll use this. Maybe God will save somebody. God does not save people with plastic eggs. He might save them in spite of it. Peradventure, there might be some shred of some gospel that gets declared, which the gospel being the power of God, he might save somebody. But it's not because of eggs, it's not because of Easter bunnies. It's because God is able to deliver. So here it is, as we said, who's required all this? Not God. 
There's some other things God required. We ought to be concerned with those. So I pray the Lord will bless and help us. We'll stand firm on the truth. We're going to continue on in this study. As the Lord enables us, and we'll bring some more truths out. We're going to have an intermission. Frankie, let's start at 1055.